All right, thanks, Matt. Boy, that was a trip down memory lane for me, having been able to play in the same worship band that Matt led in my days at Berkeley. Matt, thank you so much for your ministry and helping lead the worship set today. Uh, We're grateful for you. And welcome everybody to Current. Merry Christmas season to you. We're excited to start our new Christmas series today that we're calling The Weary World Rejoices. So we're glad you could join us for that. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to jump straight into it today. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. The, the words will be on the screen. But let's look at 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. When we think about the Christmas story, we probably don't typically think of a text like the one I just read, right? I mean, this is not talking about the exact events of Jesus' birth and Mary and Joseph don't show up and the shepherds, the wise men. We typically look to other texts and stories where that, that show, they show up in the Bible. But while this text doesn't describe those events specifically, it does give us a wonderfully concise explanation as to what Christmas means. And that's what I want to consider with you this morning, what Christmas means. And allow me just to throw out a question, just as a bit of a thought exercise here for you. Imagine if God were just to suddenly show up in your presence physically, what would you do? Like, like even right now, if God were just to show up right there physically, how would you respond? I don't know why, but a number of years back, I just got to thinking about this. And at first I thought, you know what I'd probably do? I'd probably look for a way to, I don't know, serve him. You know, maybe I'd look to uh, wash his feet or, no, no, I thought maybe what I'd do is I'd just, I'd say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, you know, you're wonderful and maybe sing his praises. But then I thought about it a little bit longer and I realized, you know what? I know what I would probably do. If God were just to show up physically out of nowhere, just and just all of a sudden, what I'd probably do is just fall face flat to the ground, just like sprawled out like I'm unworthy. Because it's this idea, when I really thought about it, that I would be in the presence of the eternal, infinite, living God, the great I am. And next to his holiness and righteousness, I'd probably just, just face flat to the ground. But that's what makes the Christmas story and even what John here is processing here for us so amazing because it shows that God came in such a way, deliberately so, that we couldn't have done that, right? Here's the first thing of what Christmas means that we see even from our text today is that God is approachable. God could have come, you know, in, in the Christmas story, like in the sky, with blinding lights and the angels singing and just thrusting us to our hands and and knees in submission. But he didn't come that way. How did he come? He came as a crying baby, just completely dependent on the care of his human parents, right? And then here John is considering his time as a disciple of Jesus. John was one of the 12 main disciples or students of Jesus. He was one of the 12 apostles who got to spend about three years with Jesus 
as he walked around the earth. And what history tells us is that John was the only disciple who was not martyred for his faith. He was actually exiled to the island of Patmos, and as such, he had years, decades, to kind of marinate on and reflect on his experiences. And here, at the beginning of this letter, he's kind of having this moment where he's marveling at what experience he got to have with Jesus and how he had no clue what it actually meant at the time. I mean, basically, what we see here is John going, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Because if you read about John and and the other disciples hanging out with Jesus in the gospel accounts, you see them more or less just chopping it up with Jesus, right? Just hanging it out. And of course, they thought of him as as a good religious leader and someone to turn to and learn from. And yeah, you know, I'm the son of God. But really, they were just hanging out with him arguing in front of him from from time to time, condemning people, asking him to condemn people. You know, just the whole lot of it. And John now is going, oh my goodness, we didn't realize what actually was happening. And here he does. He says, that which was from the beginning, we got to see with our own eyes. We got to hear with our own ears. We got to touch with our own hands. It's like, I I can't believe it. And think about not just the ways in which God came and made himself available to us. Think about to whom he came. I mean, the Christmas story is about, you know, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds getting to see Jesus. I mean, those were people in that society that the world would have identified as nobodies, but they weren't nobodies to God. And then even the disciples, the apostles were people that in the eyes of the world back then would have thought of as nobodies. We're talking blue collar workers. We're talking fishermen, mostly by trade. There was one tax collector, which was a despised position in that day. There was a zealot. I mean, these guys would have been thought of as nobodies back then by the, in, in the world's eyes, but they weren't nobodies to God, to Jesus. The Christmas story means that God is approachable. In the same way, well, in a similar way to what John is saying here, you might be saying, well, it's not the same, David. And you'd be right in the sense of, you know, we don't get to you know, touch and see and hear Jesus in that way. And we're not like Mary and Joseph actually physically there. So what are we saying here? But if we go down that road, we're missing the point that, that John is ultimately making here because here's how he ends that verse. He says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is one of the main descriptors that John loves to use in describing Jesus. Jesus is the word. In fact, John just uh, starts his gospel account about Jesus, describing Jesus as the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, dot, 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 and the word revealed himself to us. The, The word is Jesus. I mean, think about it this way. We might not be able to touch and and see and hear Jesus physically for, for ourselves, but we do have him preserved here as the word of life. I mean, that's what's so amazing about the scriptures, in a sense. I mean, of course, the scriptures teach us how we came to be about and what God desires of us and how he designed us to be. But what the scriptures ultimately do for us is reveal to us God's own heart and mind for us. That's why when we get to read about Jesus, the word of life, we get to know God, his heart, his mind for us. Jesus at one point with the disciples toward the end of his his time with them said, if you know me, you know the Father. Which means when we pick up and read stories of Jesus, say, out there, you know, meeting with the blind beggar and taking that blind beggar's face into his hands and just giving him just up 
the utmost of care and personal intimacy and healing him and loving him, we get to see that same heart and mind that God has for you and me. And then when we see Jesus get just really upset with sin and the effects of sin in life and just be getting real stern about it, he, he wants us to take sin seriously, of course. And then we read about stories where Jesus will stand in the way of people who are condemning people, even as he could rightfully and righteously condemn himself, saying, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. We get to, in all these stories and more, see the mind and heart of God himself, which means God is incredibly approachable. Yes, today. We can, this afternoon, this evening, pick up the word of life and get to know God more intimately and fully and personally. One of my favorite things hearing from a number of you throughout Shelter in Place is how you've gotten the chance to spend more time in God's word because of it all. And what I've heard from a number of you now, and all independently of each other, is how that experience of reading God's word has drawn you closer to God. How it's helped you learn more about him and, and just encouraged you in terms of your relationship with him. What I haven't heard from, from any of you who have told me about your experience sharing, uh, reading God's word, is hearing something like, and it's been wonderful, I've gotten to gain more knowledge. You know, that's not to say that as you read God's word or as any of us read God's words, you're not going to gain knowledge. Certainly you will. But the bigger point people convey to me is like, it's been amazing. I've gotten to know God more which of course is the point. God is approachable and he's approachable today. Could you take advantage of this time of shelter in place to kind of develop that practice and habit? Because it's not about just doing it, but getting to know the heart and mind of God for you. Christmas means that God is approachable. Christmas also means, second thought, that God is about grace. Look again at verse two. It says, the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Notice here, grammatically speaking, Jesus, uh, excuse me, John is not saying the way to life appeared, nor is he saying we proclaim to you the way to eternal life. No, he's literally saying the life appeared. The eternal life, which was from the Father, appeared, which is a profound statement about Jesus and really Christianity. It really echoes what Jesus himself said about, about his own self when he said not, I am here to show you the way, the truth, and the life. He literally said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not a prophet that points us towards God. No, he is the way to God himself. And you know what this means? It means that God is about grace because there's no other way. We can never earn or merit in our own right a way back to God. I mean, I remember reading in college uh, an article that somebody very persuasively put together talking about how all the major world religions and really thought uh, systems out there tend to have a Ten Commandments as a, as a moral code. And, and really, it's very similar to the Ten Commandments. There's nuances between the two. It's not to say they're exactly the same, but more or less, they're, they're quite uh, similar in, in that regard. And what the article was saying is, you know, and, and the reality is we all have this like kind of innate understanding that there's something we need to live up to. But the reality is just as strongly, we also understand that we cannot live up to it. And we don't need religion to help us understand that. I mean, we just understand that we're broken people, that, that we're all human, we'll even say. The Bible teaches it 
like this, that we all fall short. I mean, we all, we all exceedingly miss the mark. But the point, the good news, the gospel is that Jesus came as the life, the eternal life. Because the gospel is he came into this world to live the life that we ought to live but don't and actually can't. And then ultimately died the death on the cross that we deserved on our behalf such that when we believe in him, we can receive what he has done for us. I mean, really at the end of the day, Christmas is about a gift, the greatest gift of what Jesus did for us on the cross in offering forgiveness of sins that we can receive by faith alone. It's all about grace. John, in his gospel account, quotes Jesus at one point, the most famous probably verse of them all. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There it is again. Eternal life appeared in the form of Jesus. He is the way. Which means, friend, if you've logged on today and you've never received Jesus and what he's done for you, the gift is grace received by faith, trusting in what he's done for you. You can receive him even today. And we'd love to come alongside you and be a support to you in that. But what Christmas means is God is approachable. It means that it's about grace. And then the third, Christmas means that God longs to have fellowship with you. It's incredible to think about it. But the, the Christmas story tells us that God wrote himself into our story. He wrote himself into human history. Christmas means that God went to infinite lengths to be in personal relationship with us, to draw us near to him personally. Therefore, it's not all just about believing in God. And even for that matter, obeying him. God does not want to just be an abstract thought that we just, you know, bow to from time to time. No, he wants what John describes as fellowship with us. A personal, intimate relationship with us. Which, to get practical, means that if God went to infinite lengths to to be near to us, I think it means that we need to go to great lengths to be near to him. That we can't just believe, but we need to develop and even cultivate this fellowship with him. One of my favorite Psalms in the Bible is Psalm 27, written by King David, whom the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And here's what he says in Psalm 27. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek. Which is interesting to consider. Like, what is he going to ask for? What only is he seeking? Is it, is it going to be some sort of blessing? Some sort of provision? Maybe some protection? This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David, the psalmist, longed for nothing more than intimacy and fellowship with the Lord himself, which is what God wants with you and me. He wants fellowship and intimacy. And you know, you think about this kind of illustration that David used of seeking his face and his beauty. It's kind of like the beautiful, intimate experience of sitting across from somebody you're getting to know, or maybe you know really well, and you know, you, you share your experience, your, your stories with them. You get to know them, say, over, over dinner, but there's like a, 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 a fellowship of intimacy there that extends beyond just what's being shared as you really, literally open yourself up to them face-to-face, getting to know each other. God longs for intimacy and fellowship with you and me. But it's something that we have to cultivate. It's a two-way street fellowship. 
right? It can't just be one way. And think about marriage, right? I mean, the classic thing in marriage, if we're not careful, and actually even if we are careful, it can be easy to kind of slip into a rut where we're not developing intimacy or, or the friendship or the fellowship between spouses. And what can happen is you, you, you miss out on it. So you got, you got to be, you got to be uh, intentional to cultivate it. In the same way, we got to be intentional to cultivate fellowship with the Lord, if he's gone to infinitely great lengths to be near to you, and he's there for you, what lengths could you go to meet him, uh, to draw near to him? We talked about earlier the example of some folks just you know spending this time more in God's word. That's a great way to get to know him better and let him shape you, even your, your day as you go about it. I mean, for some, perhaps you know of things going on in your life that he's not happy about. And perhaps that's why you haven't been feeling close to him. Uh, for others, maybe you're, you, you, you're, you need to learn to pray. And when I say learn to pray, I'm not talking about finding a textbook and just making it a mechanical thing. I mean, just developing it into a, a life rhythm or practice. Because prayer at the end of the day is communing with God. It's a conversation. So maybe for you, it's moving from just asking God for this or that or taking care of you in this way or that way, which he wants to hear, but, but, but turning it more into a conversation and even listening to hear what he may be saying to you. Christmas means God wants to draw near to you, that he wants to have fellowship, longs for fellowship with you. But lastly, Christmas also means that God longs for you to experience the fellowship with Christians too. He longs for you to experience the joy of Christian fellowship too. Look at verse three again. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Verse four, we write this to make our joy complete. Notice here that John doesn't say, I write this to make my joy complete. It's interesting that he says, we write this to make our joy complete. Who's the we? Who's he talking about? Well, given the context, he's talking about the other apostles, the other, other believers at the time. Because again, verse 1, he says, that which was in the beginning, we got to touch, we got to feel, we got to see. The sense of what John here is saying is that as you receive fellowship as they receive fellowship. The more people receive fellowship with God, the more joy we all get to experience together. It's a compounding effect. We exponentially get to experience the joy that God has available to us in Christian fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love this word joy because this word joy means a euphoric joy, a perfect joy, which we won't experience in its utmost fullness until the next life. But it's something we get to taste and experience even now in the life of this fellowship. And if you've experienced Christian fellowship, there's nothing like it. You, you know this. Uh, there's a, you know, two Saturdays ago, we got to do our gift wrapping event, which was a lot of fun out there packing these events, wrapping these events. Obviously, we were outside and trying to be socially distanced as best we can, but we were just wrapping events, uh, uh, gifts to, to send off to these wonderful organizations that are doing wonderful work in the community, helping foster kids and families, helping the homeless in East Palo Alto, helping inner city uh, youth that are under-resourced in East Oakland and so on. And it was just a, a great event. But at one point, I just kind of stepped back. I mean, I was hanging out with people and trying to contribute as best I could. But at one point, I kind of stepped back and two things hit me in that moment. The first thing that hit me was like, oh my goodness, it is so awesome that we get to do this. Like we get to 
help people in, in the midst of these, these hard times in a way that hopefully is going to be significant and mean something to them, be a blessing to them, all in Jesus' name. And I looked at the rows and tables of everybody there. There's 50, 60 plus people all just packing away just very intentionally. I was just like, man, we get to do this. It's incredible. Love getting to do this with, with everybody. But the second thing that really hit me in that moment as I was just taking it all in was the joy that was around each and every table and interaction happening. Now, it's kind of funny. I couldn't like see smiles on people's faces because everybody had their face messed up, right? But I just heard laughter. And you could just tell by the way people are interacting with each other. There's just so much joy. And I was like, man, this is like, it doesn't get any better than this. We get to make a difference, humbly speaking, in Christ's name, and get to have fun and experience joy while doing it. And, you know, I always got to walk around and, and get to see people. And some folks I'd I hadn't seen for a long time, obviously, right? Because we've been sheltered in place. And I got to see some people that I'd only met through the last several months through the virtual means. And so it's like I was meeting them for for the first time. It's actually kind of funny. Some of us, there's one story of somebody meeting someone else for the first time physically, even though they had been in their small group for weeks and didn't recognize them because they had a mask on. They're like, oh my goodness, it's you. I've never met you in the flesh before. But anyways, there's just a joy around that. It's meeting some people that I'd only met virtually. And, it, you know, it's just this incredible joy of fellowship. Whereas, you know, we might not yet be BFFs, but there's, there's, a, there's a fellowship there, even though we're just still getting to know each other. Why? Because it's around what Jesus has done. His self, self-sacrificing love that makes it possible to have this incredible joy of fellowship that if you've never experienced before, there's nothing like it, where we're coming from different backgrounds, different experiences, and yet just getting a chance to have joyful fellowship together. It's amazing. And that's what God longs for you and me. That's part of what Christmas is about. But again, like fellowship with him, we've got to be intentional about it. It's a two-way street. We can't we can't just expect it to happen. And you know, to be real, all the more during shelter in place and in these virtual spaces, it's, it's hard. You know, I, I get it, especially if you've moved into the area and you're looking for churches. You know, to to get to know people through the virtual, it's a, it's a, it's it's a little bit harder. But we we've got to be intentional about it. We just wrapped up uh, current groups this last week, actually. Um, but we're going to start them back up again in the new year. I just encourage you to be intentional. And one thought about the intentional, just to kind of give you an illustration of, of, of you know, the, the power here. There was one couple that came down from Oakland. And I imagine there's a number of people coming from a good distance at, at our wrapping event uh, two Saturdays ago. But one couple came down from Oakland, drove down on a Saturday from Oakland to kind of help wrap and get us set up. And I just got to have a brief five to ten minute conversation with them. And I was just telling them, and you know, and it was and it was kind of awkward in, in the in the shelter in place sense of like we had our masks on, we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't hug each other, and we had to stay six feet back as we were talking. But I was just telling them, I was like, you know, thank you so much for driving down because in, in just five to ten minutes, those guys just imparted so much life to me and so many people at that event. Just by being there, just by knowing them and getting to see them and hearing a couple of things of how they're doing and them speaking into our life. And I was sharing that to them. Of course, them being the, the wonderful couple that they are, I said, and that's what we experience. It's like it's a mutual love and joy that we get to experience. But you know, they had driven down from Oakland for that. And I was just like, man, that's that's a beautiful picture of needing to be intentional. We like we gotta figure out how to what could this look like for you? 
How could you take advantage of the different offerings that are available to be intentional about fellowship, even in the midst, well, especially in the midst of these times? Well, there it is, this text, and, and how it gives us a wonderfully and beautifully concise explanation as to what Christmas means, that God is approachable, that he is available to you, to me, to, to me and to you today through his word, the word of life. We can read about him even today, later on today. And he's, a, he's, he's incredibly approachable in that God is about grace, that Jesus literally came as the life, the eternal life, uh, making a way possible for us to come back into fellowship with God, which is ultimately what he longs for, that we'd have fellowship, intimacy, friendship, a personal relationship with him that we have to cultivate. And, 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 and something he also did such that we can have fellowship with one another and experience the joy there. So as we approach celebrating Christmas this year, let's remember what it's all about, what Christmas means, and let's be asking God how he might want us to move towards him even as he draws him, uh, us near to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Christmas. Uh, thank you so much for coming into this world as, as approachable. As, first as a baby, but then as somebody who walked around flesh and blood in, in an approachable manner. Thank you that you're approachable today through your word. And thank you, Father, for your grace that you give us, ultimately through going, uh, going to the cross, dying for us, for the forgiveness of sins, and giving us your life, eternal life. Thank you for the fellowship that we can experience with you. Thank you for the fellowship that you've made available to us with, with one another. Father, would you help us cultivate these things? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's continue this time of worship now, Christmas worship, as we continue to sing together now. Okay. 